thank you, Jeff and musicians. Be taking your copy of God's Word. Turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, Matthew, Mark, Luke. I know I've had several people ask me this morning why I'm wearing this bandage on my head, so I'll just get it out of the way now. After 40 years, you would think I would learn not to talk back to Sherry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not it. No, the doctor was cutting on my, you know, was there whatever that cancer is. They like to shave your skin and cut you, so he was doing that this week. And uh, I asked Sherry, it's got stitches in it, and there's a bill. I said, it looks pretty cool to walk around with it, like, sticking out. She goes, no, put a Band-Aid over it. So, <clears throat> so I'm just doing what I was told. So I want to spend some of our time this morning. And uh, we finished our study in Revelation last week, and so as we move up toward Easter, probably won't have a definitive series, but uh, something that I was thinking about and looking at over the last several weeks is, uh, is false doctrine in the church and false teachers that abound. And so I want to just spend a few minutes and talk about how we as, as Christians should approach the world today and society. I don't know if you've noticed, and I say that facetiously, there's a lot of crazy stuff said in the world today, a lot of, a lot of things about God and a lot of things about the Bible, and, and um, sometimes it just causes me to shake my head because uh, people just don't know. They don't, they don't understand. They don't read the Bible, and they don't know the truth. And one of Satan's primary tools, uh, and it has always been this way, is to confuse people, to deceive them, to, to take a little bit of truth and mix in uh, lies with it so that it sounds good, but it's deceptive and it leads people away. Um, and it leads them away from God. It leads them away from either being saved. And Satan, listen, even when we get saved, Satan has lost the battle for our soul. We come to Jesus and we trust him by faith. We're born again. He can never again uh, uh, condemn us to hell for our sin. But the fact is his goal then becomes to make us ineffective for the cause of Christ to make us a, a carnal Christian, one who, who really doesn't do what they're supposed to do. And so as, by way of introduction, I want to give you four characteristics, and we'll see it, you'll see it in our passages this morning. I just want to give it to you up front so that you see it when we begin to read it. I want to give you four characteristics about false teachers because what Satan does, uh, and the Bible speaks of false teachers, is he takes his false doctrine and he has his people in the world sharing error teaching things that aren't true, and it confuses people. And I want to give you four characteristics about a false teacher, and you might want to jot these down or just think about them. Number one, the source of information from false teachers is always wrong. Their source is wrong. As Christians, we ought to be like the Bereans in, in the book of Acts. When we hear a message, what should we do? And especially, listen, in a way of analogy, you know, the Holy Spirit lives in us if you're saved. And I kind of like this. I, I kind of think in, in an analogy way, I, I got these lights in my heart. You know, and sometimes I hear something and it doesn't sound just right and the, and the light starts blinking. Like, you know, that doesn't, the Holy, in other words, the Holy Spirit's going, hey, you need to check that out. That's not, really, uh, that's not really right. And sometimes the light just blinks a little bit and sometimes like four lights are on. Like, okay, that's completely off the reservation. How do you know that? I mean, how does, your, how does your light get calibrated? I guess I ought to put it that way in my old Navy days. How do you calibrate your light? With the Bible. Okay, when you read this and you, and you understand and you learn the Bible and you hide it in your heart, 
you've calibrated your light. In other words, what you're doing is when you hear things, you're measuring it through God's word. And so you know the Holy Spirit says, no, you know what the Bible said, that's not right. And so you know that. Listen, a false teacher, uh, the false message that Satan would permeate in the world today, many times is based on, on personal experience or their own perceptions of life. I, you don't know how many times I've, I've heard teachers say, and I listen to a lot of preaching, they'll say, well, you know, in my experience, okay, well, be careful. I mean, your experience can be a reflection of what the Bible says, and that's fine. Just be careful about your experience becoming the standard of truth. Everybody follow me? In other words, don't make your personal experience be the standard. I'm not going to name the, the author, a very famous uh, preacher, we'll say, writes a lot of books. And in one of, one of his books, uh, he makes a statement that is profoundly wrong. Uh, he said in there, I know these things are true because they're true for me and my wife. Okay, so your personal experience just became the standard of truth um, for, for how we're supposed to live for God. You understand what I'm saying? False teachers uh, have a false uh, source, if you will. They rely on human wisdom and human understanding, which is always uh, fallible. They, they will, listen, many times false teachers will throw in some Bible verses to give it the appearance of legitimacy. But here's what they do, listen. The truth of what they're teaching isn't drawn from the Bible. They're just using those verses to support a preposition they've already made. You have to be careful doing that because really it is the authority of God's word from which we speak. Other than that, we have no authority. So the first thing that you'll understand about false teachers is their source of, uh, of their message, of their information is wrong. Secondly, false teachers are generally men-pleasers. And by that I mean they're more concerned with winning the approval of the masses than they are saying what's true and might be offensive. They're more interested in pleasing man than they are being faithful to the truth of God's word. So many times you will find a false teacher who will have a large following. And listen very carefully. A large following doesn't make them right. Period. What makes their messages right is does it align with God's word. That's really all that matters. In fact, the Apostle Paul said this in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up to themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. You know why false teachers have such large followings? Because the people don't want to hear the truth in the first place. They don't want to be convicted. And most false teachers will tell the people exactly what they want to hear. In other words, they'll stick their finger up in there and see which way the wind's blowing, and then that's the way they're going to go. That's a false teacher every time. Understand that. Thirdly, false teachers typically have a wrong focus in their teaching. And that's as simple as this. The biblical teaching, the teaching that comes from the Bible, is not about the here and now. It's about serving God and for eternity. Most false teachers are all about here and now. Most false teachers are, hey, you can be healthy, wealthy, wise, and have all you ever desired in this life right now if you just follow God. Well, that's not in the Bible. In any way, shape, or form, that's not in the Bible. Matter of fact, that's not even insinuated in the Bible. Matter of fact, the Bible says, no, if you follow me, Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus said, it'll be hard. It'll be difficult. And people won't like you. 
And Jesus said, they persecuted me, and if they persecuted me and you're my disciple and you're my follower, guess what they're going to do to you? They're going to persecute you as well. So be careful about the focus of teaching. When you hear teaching, it's always uh, tiptoeing through the tulips, you know, and, and uh, eating peeled grapes and everything's fine when you know Jesus. Well, no, not, that's not what the Bible says, okay? And then finally, finally, probably the greatest proof of, of a false teacher is look at the results of their teaching. When we teach God's Word, we hold up a passage of Scripture and we read it and we, and, we, and we understand what it said and we make application to life. God's Word changes people's lives. It changes them. They come to Jesus Christ. They're born again. They're a brand new creation in Christ. They have a new heart. And when God changes somebody, He begins to conform them to the image of Christ. So biblical teaching moves people toward a Christ-likeness. Worldly teaching moves people into carnal lifestyles and, and an earthly lifestyle. So the proof, we could say, if you will, is in the pudding of, of what is the result of their teaching. Now, understanding those four characteristics of false teachers, Jesus gives a warning here in Luke chapter 12. Notice what he says beginning in verse 1. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another... He, Jesus, began to say to his disciples, first of all, so there's this huge crowd, and they're just massed in together, and Jesus, seeing the crowd and his disciples there, he begins to teach his disciples some important things about teachers. Look at what he says. He began to say to his disciples in verse 1 of Luke 12, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetop. Well, that's sobering, isn't it? Listen to what Jesus said. He sees the crowd and he sees the Pharisees who by this time had begun to follow him around with the attitude of catching him in something and trying to condemn him. They don't like him. They're already his enemy. And Jesus gives a warning. He says, be careful of the Pharisees. Be careful of the leaven. And what he does there is leaven is, a, is an Old Testament word for yeast. You put yeast in bread to make it rise. You put it in the bread dough. Well, when the Jews came out of Egypt, they were in a hurry, remember? Get your stuff and go. And, and God said, you don't have time to put the yeast in the bread. Just grab it and go as it is. And it kind of became a memorial for them that on their feast day, they would eat unleavened bread to remind them that they left Egypt in a hurry. Well, then leaven took on the form of representing sin or impurity because uh, we know I'm not a baker, but I am told. So if you bake and you know better than me, great. But I understand that a little bit of leaven in bread will permeate the whole thing. Is that correct? The Bible says it will. So I take it as being true. So a little leaven permeates all the bread and it's not unleavened anymore. Well, what, what God did in, in the Holy Spirit in leading them in to teach here is he said, look, sin is just like that. And false teaching is just like that. A little bit of error will permeate the whole thing. If we allow a little bit of sin in our lives, it will infect all of us. In other words, it will impact our whole lives. See, sometimes as Christians, we think, well, you know, I do pretty good. I'm, I'm pretty good 98% of the time, and if I allow a little bit of sin, it won't hurt. No, no, a little bit of dirt in my chocolate chip cookies is bad, okay? I don't care if it's a little, you know, I mean, a little dirt in there ruins the whole cookie, right? Would you agree? Uh, I mean, I might be able to get by with a little bit, but, not, you know, it ruins the whole cookie. Sin is the same way. Leaven. You get a little bit of leaven in the bread and it infects the whole thing. Well, what Jesus simply says here is be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees. 
In other words, their, their false teaching will infect everything. Their false teaching will impact your whole doctrinal view. He said, be careful about those guys. And he's saying that to his disciples who are now saved, who are following him. You know, we, we need to be careful as well today. We need to be careful what we listen to. We need to be careful who we allow to influence our lives. What teaching do you listen to? Now, I, I am, have my whole life, and especially in the ministry, I've been very careful about, about just purposely getting in the pulpit and naming preachers and teachers and people that I think are false teachers because, you know what, God, that, that's God's business, not my business to run around. However, I will tell you, listen, there are people who are teaching and people who, are, who, who call themselves preachers, and what they teach and what they preach is wrong. And you need to recognize that. And sometimes somebody will come to me and they'll say, Preacher, I like to listen to this person. What do you think of them? Then I have to think of a really nice way to say, you shouldn't be listening to that person because what they say is wrong. There was a, a famous lady preacher uh, who was on TV preaching. She's on TV quite often. And my barber, the lady who cuts my hair, she don't have to cut this spot for a while, but the lady who cuts my hair, um, <laughs> She had, had this lady on, and while I'm getting my hair cut, this lady's preaching. And so I'm, I'm sitting there listening to what she had to say, and she's preaching in Proverbs. And, man, and that whole thing I just said a minute ago about using a verse of Scripture to support your premise, man, she read a verse of Scripture and took off and never came back to it. Like, you know, never touched it, never said anything out of it. And while I'm sitting there, I'm thinking of myself, this lady who's cutting my hair thinks she's the greatest thing since sliced bread, and she's teaching, she's not teaching right, okay? So what I'm saying to you is you have to be careful because a little leaven, a little, a little error will lead you astray. And you, have to, you have to make sure that it's aligned with God's word. Now, when we say doctrine, let me, let me explain this very quickly. You say, well, pastor, what if a person says something I don't agree with? Well, it doesn't necessarily mean they have doctrinal error, okay? Everybody follow me. Listen very carefully. There are closed-fisted doctrines and then there are open-handed doctrines. The closed-fisted doctrines are the things that are non-negotiable. Jesus Christ is God. Everybody follow me? Okay. The only way to be saved is by faith in Jesus plus nothing. That's non-negotiable. Okay. Jesus incarnate came in human flesh. was God and man at the same time. Non-negotiable. That he died on the cross of vicarious death to pay for our sin. Non-negotiable. That he rose from the grave on the third day. Ain't arguing about that. That's a fact. Okay. That that. You get, listen, you understand what I'm saying. The Bible's inerrant, infallible, the Word of God, inspired by We aren't arguing about any of that stuff. Now, if somebody comes to me and says, well, you know, I hold a doctrine of mid-trib rapture, mid-trib this or post-trib that, I'm going to tell them they're wrong. But if they're, but if they're a born-again child of God, I'm not going to fall out with them over it because there are a lot of godly men and women who hold a different perspective about things that I do, and they'll find out they were wrong when they got to heaven, you know, when they get there. One of us will find out we're wrong, right? Not to digress, but the second law of philosophy says two opposing views can't both be right at the same time. So you should always have a little trepidation when you stick a stake in the ground because somebody's wrong, right? And it just might be you if, if it's not based on the Bible. But the fact is doctrines are, are close-fisted, meaning there, there are foundational things about our faith that we're not going to talk about because there's no need to talk about them. Bible said it, that's it, I believe it's done. Then there are things, you know, well, you know, does New Jerusalem come all the way down to the earth? Is it hanging up? In the, yeah. Okay, I'm not arguing about that stuff either. Who cares? We're not worried about that. 
My point is false teachers attack the very core of who we are. False teachers attack, attack who Jesus is, that he's God. Attack, listen, attack things like God's not the creator. All right, well, that's wrong. And when you hear that kind of stuff, you got to raise the flag. That's wrong, okay? You just, I'm going to listen to that. Okay, and you got to call it wrong. So Jesus said, the Pharisees fall in that group. Jesus said, listen, they're, they, these guys are leading people astray. And then he narrows it down and calls them hypocrites. Look at it. Jesus said, the, the leaven of their hypocrisy. Now, what does it mean to be a hypocrite? We probably all have some definition for that, but it simply means, it simply means that there's an insincerity in the heart. It means that a person says one thing and does something else, that they're not what they, not what they say or not what they appear to be. Now, there's a very fine line there because none of us are perfect, okay? However, a person who purposely says one thing and lives a different lifestyle is a hypocrite. They're playing the game, and there are, there's a lot of hypocrisy in religion today. There's a lot of hypocrisy in politics today, but that's a whole other subject. The fact is there's hypocrisy in life, particularly with relation to God. And Jesus said these Pharisees are hypocritical. They don't, they, they don't really live what they preach. Let me give you four more things. Remember the four things about false teachers. Watch this. Four things about hypocrisy. These are interesting. I think you'll, you'll like this. Listen. Number one, what is true of hypocrites is that their words and their actions don't align. Sooner or later, you discover that what they say and what they do are two different things. Okay? There's, there's a lack of integrity, we might call it. They say one thing and they do something. My dad used to say to me, talk is cheap. And I'd add to that, but walking is tough. You can say it, but then you better do it. And if you don't think you can do it, then don't say it. Okay? Hypocrisy, hypocrites say, man, I'm all this, and then their lifestyle doesn't show it. Jesus said the Pharisees were like that. They were all talk, but their life was a lie. Let me, let me give you a warning right here. Listen to me. There are a lot of people sitting in church pews or seats every week who are living a duplicitous life. all together, man, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm saved, I'm walking with God, look at me, look at my life, but inside they're lost. And Jesus said to the hypocrites, they're, they're whitewashed sepulchers, they're painted on the outside with a bunch of dead man's bones on the inside. That's what a hypocrite is, a person who professes to know God but does not know God. So their words and their actions on the line, number two, and this looks very similar to false teachers, doesn't it? Maybe that's why Jesus connected the two. Hypocrites love to be seen of men. Hypocrites love public applause. They like people to, to pat them on the back. Listen to what I didn't put this up there in Matthew 6, 1 through 4, because I thought about it later after I put the, the verses up. But listen to what Jesus said about, about Pharisees in Matthew 6, 1 through 4. He said, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds or your alms before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have not, uh, no reward from your Father in heaven. Listen to what else Jesus goes on. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, when you give your alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, and they may have the glory of men. Assuredly, Jesus said, I say to you, they have their reward. 
Jesus said these Pharisees are hypocritical because when they give their alms, when they give their money, when they help the poor, they sound a trumpet. Hey, everybody look at me. I'm giving. Everybody look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this religious thing. Hey, everybody look at me. I'm praying. Everybody look at me. I'm coming to church. Look at me. I'm, I'm at worship. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And Jesus said, mm, that's hypocritical. They have their reward. People pat them on the back, say, man, aren't you a good Christian? Aren't you a great Christian? Jesus said they have their reward, not with the Father, but among men. Hey, number three, hypocrites neglect the inward man, and they're all about the outward man. Kind of looks like a false teacher, doesn't it? In other words, what they care about is, is the things of the flesh and the things of the world. That's what the Pharisees cared about. Not the inward man. Not are we walking with God. Not is my heart right. Is my attitude right? Is my conviction right about my sins? No, the hypocrite cares more about what people think about them. And finally, finally, and you've seen this, I'm sure, hypocrites tend to be incredibly judgmental. That's kind of, that's weird too, isn't it? I mean, they're playing the game. They're not really all that they say they are, and their life doesn't really demonstrate it, but man, they'll come down like a ton of bricks on somebody else who messes up. Hypocrites have this incredible judgmental attitude for the rest of the world. I want to make a statement right here that I believe is true based on this passage and what I've seen in church. The most judgmental Christians I've ever met were most often hypocrites. Man, they had a bad attitude about everybody else in the church except them. And sometimes you just got to say to them, look, why don't you turn some of that criticism to your own self and get yourself straightened out before God before you try to get the two by four and the specks out of everybody else's eyes, right? Which is exactly what Jesus said about judging when you got a two by four sticking out of your head trying to get a speck out of somebody else's eye. And we all got to be careful of that. You say, well, would it, is it possible for a truly safe person to be hypocritical? Hypocritical? Yes, it is. Absolutely. Man, that's the last thing I want to be. How about you? I want to be what God wants me to be. And what you see here on Sunday morning is what I want to be on Monday morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning and the rest of the week. Now, am I always successful to be all that I want to be for God? No, and neither are you. But God knows it's a desire of my heart. And we're not purposely living a life of deception. Jesus said these Pharisees live a life of deception now listen to how Jesus applied this to the Pharisees very quickly. In Matthew 23, verses 2 to 7, listen to what he said. The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. No, that's, that's their position. Their job is to read the law and teach the people. Therefore, Jesus said, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. Now, why did he say that? Because when they sit in the seat of Moses and they read the Bible, that's God's word and you do what God said. But now listen to this. But do not do according to their works, for they say and they do not do. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. They say it, they read it, they tell you you ought to do it, and they don't do it for themselves. Jesus said that's hypocrisy. Listen to what else he said in verse 4. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen of men. They make their phylacteries, the little things around their, their garments, broad and large the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feast, 
the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace when men call them rabbi, rabbi, teacher. Boy, they love the public acclaim. They tell you to do it and they don't do it. Jesus said, don't be like that. Don't follow them. And then Jesus gives the most important warning. He said, because in the end, all will be exposed. Now in this life, we don't always know when someone's been a hypocrite, do we? Matter of fact, they might be really good at it. And you don't know that they were false. But Jesus said there's coming a time when every secret thing will be revealed and every word spoken will be revealed and every secret thing will be opened. Not all hypocrites will be revealed in this life, but they will be revealed in the end. They will be made known. And I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Jesus said, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will get into the kingdom of heaven. Why is that? That's, that ought to cause us pause, shouldn't it? I mean, just when Jesus said that, you ought to go, whoa, let me pay attention right here. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is getting into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, they'll come to me in that day. They'll say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and do miracles in your name? Didn't we do all these ministries in your name? Then what's Jesus going to say to them? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, because I did not know you. What does that mean? They lived a Christian life, did all the Christian stuff, but it was a lie because in their heart they never had Christ. They never knew him, never had him. A hypocritical life. Jesus said, you're not getting in. Ecclesiastes 12, 14 says, For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it's good or evil. Everything we do is going to be measured by God. Yesterday at the funeral, a bunch of young people in here, a bunch of people from the high school, young man, 17, took his own life. At the end of the message, I told all those young people, I said, listen, when time is over and humanity ends, you're going to stand in front of God and give an account of your life. So how do you feel about that? You're going to stand in front of God Almighty, the one who made you, and you're going to answer for everything in your lives. Listen, for us Christians who played a religious game, you got to stand in front of Jesus one day, and he's going to know. So I would implore you, I would encourage you, if there's any duplicity in our lives, any hypocrisy in our lives in the area, let's get rid of it. Let's be genuine before God. The application really simply is maybe we should examine ourselves today and take inventory. Maybe we should examine our own lives and make sure that we're not playing the religious game, that we're not trying to impress people with our religious activities that we're not looking for pats on the back or human applaud. No, our reward, our reward is from our Lord, not here. Hypocrisy kills the church. False teaching kills the church. The last thing I want to show you is Jesus said in light of all that, if we walk with integrity before God, there will be difficulty. Most false teachers and most hypocritical Christians try to ride the fence because it's easier. 
You see, if you stick a stake in the ground, if you take the flag of Christianity and you stick it in the ground, you say, man, this is truth and I'm not moving from it, the world will attack you. The world will try to take your flag away from you. Can I say to you, Jesus said, don't let them take your flag. He said, be fearless is what he's saying. Let me show it to you. Look at verses 4 and 5. Jesus said, and I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you shall fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Well, that's a good word. You see, Jesus said, look, the world's going to come after you and they're going to threaten you with everything all the way up to death. And they'll take your life. And Jesus said, don't worry about that. You see, human power over us is limited to this world. The absolute worst they can do to us is kill us. You say, oh, that's terrible to be martyred for Christ. Well, is it? I mean, I'm not looking for them to do it today, but you understand what I'm saying. Once they've done their worst, they're done. They can't do anything else to me. Once they've taken life, what have they really done? Sent me to the presence of my Savior, where they can't touch me ever again. Jesus said, don't fear the world. Don't fear what people threaten you. Don't fear threats from the world who hates me and will hate you. You say, well, how does that look in the United States? The Supreme Court just this week upheld the church's right in California to have public meetings. Amen. Those guys finally made a good decision, okay? I mean, you know, blind squirrel finds an acorn every now and then. That's pretty good. They chose correctly. The Supreme Court said that the state of California could not forbid people to meet in public assembly in the church. Well, the Constitution says that. That's a no-brainer. I mean, come on. That should have been an easy one, right? That was a layup. Here, soft underhand. Hit that. The Constitution helps you. But you know what? There may come a time, and I see a time, when the Supreme Court may go, no, you can't meet. Then what do you do? Well, we're meeting. Tell you right now, we're meeting, okay? You say, well, why? Yes, defiant. No, it's not defiant. It's making a choice. Am I going to obey God or am I going to obey man when it has something to do with God's word? Now, you understand as Christians, we are to be model citizens. Don't go attacking the Capitol. Dumb, okay? Dumb. Don't do that stuff. God said don't do that stuff. But listen to me. When the government says you can't gather to worship as Christians, that's when we go... I'll do anything you say that has to do with civil law, but now you've intruded into the law of God, and you've said, I can't do what God told me to do, so now I have to choose between you and God, and I choose God. Easy. Then if we have to suffer for that, they come arrest you, take, you know, take away your birth, whatever, then you just suffer it. Then you just go, you know what? Okay, if that's what it takes, I'm still going to worship God. You do what you want to do. My favorite biblical example, and we'll close. Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those guys are heroes, man. I mean, you just cannot understand the, the situation they were in unless you really think about it. Nebuchadnezzar is, is this despot who has life and death, and the dude's crazy before he got saved. And he builds this big statue because of the vision he had before, and he tells all of his leadership, you've got to worship this image, which was a declaration, obviously, of loyalty to him and the kingdom because now we're all going to worship this thing. The music plays and everybody falls down to worship. 
except for three Hebrew young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are still standing there. Well, sir, as soon as everybody sees they're not bowing, they go tell the king, and the king's mad. And he calls them in, and he says, you guys must have, must have made a mistake because you didn't hear what I said. When the music plays, you fall down and you worship this thing. And if you don't fall down and worship this thing, I'm going to burn you alive in a fiery furnace. Now, there's a choice for you. Fall down and worship this thing, or I'm going to throw you alive into the fire. There's a lot of ways to die, but being thrown into a fiery furnace wouldn't be like top of my list, right? I mean, probably painful, and would be painful for long, but still, yuck. I mean, you know, shoot me or something. Don't, don't do that. I mean, listen, what does Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say? Them dudes, listen, they're an example of what I said. They stuck a flag in the ground, and they said, you know, do, do your worst, man, which is what? Kill me. Do your worst, but I ain't worshiping that, that thing out there. Listen to what they said. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we, don't, we have no need to answer you in this matter. And the king James says, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. And what they're saying is, we don't have to think about it. I don't, we don't have to have a huddle, a holy huddle here and decide whether or not we're going to uh, worship this thing or, you know, should we go on? We don't, we don't need to decide it. They said, if that is the case, if you're going to throw us in the fire, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you set up. Well, that's pretty definitive, isn't it? I mean, they just said to him, O king, recognizing his authority, you have the authority to throw us in the fire furnace, and if that's what you decide to do, well, then that's up to you to do that. But just know this, we're not worshiping that thing, and we're not worshiping your gods because we've chosen to worship the true and living God. Now, what were they saying? Exactly what Jesus just said right here. You can throw us in the fire, and it will certainly kill us, but then God will have delivered us from your hands because then that's it. There ain't nothing else you can do. Or our God's big enough to deliver us from the fire furnace, but either way, whatever he decides to do, we ain't worshiping that thing. And man, God did a great thing, didn't he? God honored their faithfulness. Nebuchadnezzar throws them in the fire, looks over at his counselor and says, I thought we threw three people in there. How come I see four walking around in there and one of them looks like the son of God? And then Nebuchadnezzar got a whole different tune. He looked in there and said, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Benigo, you guys come back out here. Now, that must have been some scene. They walk out of the fire that this guy thrown into, you know. Who's in there walking around with them? Jesus. So they walk out, and nothing on them's burned, not even the smell of smoke, except the ropes burned up. Man, God's so good, isn't he? God's like, you don't need these ropes, man. Here, you know, burn them off, and they come out. What I'm telling you is what Jesus said is what you find throughout the whole Bible. We, we need to, as Christians, respectfully, in a godlike way, stick a flag in the ground and say, man, no, I'm not doing that. God said, don't do that. God said, do this, and that's what I'm going to do, and regardless of what the world says. You know what that takes? Some backbone. Just takes some backbone. Just got to say, man, I'm, I'm just not doing that. There are things you have a conviction about from God's word you got to stand on. Let me sum it up this way. The world's full of false teachers who will, who will water down the truth and say, look, just, you know, when in Rome, do like the Romans do, you know, don't worry about that stuff. And, you know, it ain't so bad. Maybe, maybe as Christians, we can embrace some evolution, you know, maybe it's God evolution and nonsense. Don't listen to that stuff. Don't let the world lead you astray like that. No, you get in this book 
and you measure everything that you hear against what this book says. You measure it, and then you stand on what this says. False teachers are dangerous. They're dangerous. Don't entertain them and don't listen to them. Spend time in God's Word. Now listen, if you're here this morning and you're not saved, watching online, you're not saved, you need Jesus Christ. What I said earlier, you got to stand before God one day. How do you feel about that? Are you ready for that? The only way to be ready is to have Jesus Christ as your Savior. Ask Him to forgive your sin. Humble your heart before Him. God will save your soul. He'll give you eternal life. But you got to come to Him. you got to come to Him. You can't do it on your own. You're not going to find it in this world. Jesus Christ is the one who can save you. Would, you. would you receive him this morning? Let's pray. God, thank you for teaching us about false doctrine and false teachers, Lord, and what we need to understand. Help us, God, in this day as the world moves further and further away from you. Help us, God, to be committed and surrendered in our heart, God, in your power and the power of the Holy Spirit to stick a flag in the ground and say, God, we're not going to be moved. God, we don't want to be moved. We want to be as close to you as possible. God, help us to be the witnesses to the world that we should be, a testimony to the lost that, Jesus, you'll save them. And help us not be hypocritical, Lord. Help us to say what you say and then live a life that reflects what you say. Bless your people this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If I can pray with you or help you as we stand and sing on this verse, you come. I'll be right down front here. Let's stand.